back to Trinity Talks. I'm Jake, and I am joined again by Trip. We're going to do a special version of the podcast for uh, the Advent season. We're going to do some Advent podcasts. So we're going to do uh, one a week for the whole of the Advent season. I will not be joining you for all of them. In fact, I will only be joining you for a few of them, and the rest of them, Trip is going to be hosting with some of our other clergy, which I am very excited about, not only because I get to listen to them, but also because I'm interested to see what the other clergy have to say about Advent. So I'm excited to be with you for this first episode, and Trip, welcome back. Good to be here. Yeah. You may or may not know, listener, we've got a special guest with us today. You won't be hearing them much, but I've got my dog with me today, yes. <laughs> little Baron. Uh, so I think he's uh, just taking it easy somewhere. <laughs> but <laughs> if you just see me, if you hear me maybe rustle around, it's just me standing up to just make sure where he's at. Uh, <laughs> but he's a, he's a good, good little boy. He's uh, gained about... 40 pounds in just a few months. So Yes, he is no longer a little boy. Uh, he is now a very large dog. It's wild how fast dogs go. But it's uh, fun. I promise I'll be locked in <laughs> when we get into this. <laughs> but before we start, because we're talking about Advent, I'd love to know, are, are you and Allie a, a, a before Thanksgiving decorators? Are you a post Thanksgiving decorators? Uh-huh. Are your lights up yet? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, that's a big debate in the neighborhood sometimes or you'll see some people man like november 1st ready to go yeah. um for us we're definitely a uh, I, I just like to do it like you got thanksgiving and then that weekend that's when you put the lights up mm. so we do have some lights up it was fun to put them up over the weekend um but i don't know i i need to, to focus on thanksgiving first and then lock in towards towards advent and christmas so i'm definitely a post Thanksgiving type of person. Uh-huh. I'm not necessarily saying that's the right way to do it, and that's the <laughs> orthodox way to do it. And if you don't do it, then you're wrong. But I definitely, uh, yeah, I like to do it after Thanksgiving. Mm. But it's—I mean, there's no like music or anything for Thanksgiving, so that's you true. almost feel that's like true. you should we go ahead and yeah. We don't have a rich tradition in America of Thanksgiving music, so there's really mm-hmm. not anything to like play until after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So, well, Katie and I are. Katie, as a person, is more of a, like, first of November, like, as soon as you can. Christmas lights the best. Put them up as soon as you possibly can. The tree should come up as quickly as possible. But this year, we've been really slow because with our son in kind of the stage that he's in right now, he's kind of in a wandering around, exploratory. He's really touchy right now. He just wants to touch everything. And so we've been kind of worried about putting the Christmas tree up and decorations inside because, like, he's going to want to touch them. Mm -hmm. And so... Because of that, we just put our Christmas tree up yesterday, which was good, and he was very touchy, but we're not going to put any ornaments on it this year, because anything we put on, he's going to want to pull down. Mm. So we're going to have a bear tree this year with a star, and that is going to be exciting. That's going to be all we can really do inside that he won't pull apart. We've definitely decorated outside, but inside has been a little trickier, because we aren't sure how the dog will interact with the tree, (laughs) you know, so... um, haven't gotten around to that just yet. <laughs> Are you guys a, a, a real tree family, or do you have a, a, a reusable tree? We have historically been a real tree, ah. uh, but it adds up over time. It does. It does. <laughs> so kind of being more and more persuaded to a fake tree, uh, and it's just a little bit simpler. Uh-huh. I, I mean, definitely value the traditions of it all, but um, yeah, so we might be getting a fake tree this year. <laughs> very good. Very good. Yeah. Katie and I very much enjoy our plastic tree. It's yeah. great. It's, it works every year. It always looks the same. And it always looks nice. Yeah. I like a good real tree occasionally, but 
it's a lot of work to get a real tree every year. And especially the last two years with Nathan, it's just been like, man, yeah. I do not have the energy for this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, all right, Advent. We're talking about Advent. Yep. A season that uh, I like to think of as long Christmas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Advent is largely the season where we, uh, and I'm sure you'll tell us more about this, but Advent, in my mind, is the season where we are stressed about the fact that we have not finished buying Christmas gifts yeah. yet. Well, how, how, yeah, how do you feel now that Advent is here, I guess? Like, um, is it something, is Advent typically something you look forward to, or is it kind of that, something that sneaks up on you, or, yeah? Oh, man, uh, that's a good question. I think... So I really like Advent. It's a great season. It's very much a very kind of merry and bright season, and I don't mean in the in the typical sense, but like it is a it is a season where we are, I don't know, encouraged more to focus on Jesus. It's a it's a a more spiritual season, if that makes any sense. But overall, like I find that most years being quite honest. I'm like, yes, this year I'm going to do a, an Advent devotional every day and like, yep. I'm really going to focus. And then like New Year's comes around, I'm like, man, I missed it. Uh, what happened? Uh, yeah. I, I got all the Christmas gifts, but I don't, I didn't really do anything. We made it to Christmas Eve service. That mm -hmm. was the best we did. Yeah. So frankly, I, I would say I feel, I'm excited for Advent, but I'm aware that I have uh, historically done a pretty poor job of doing anything other than Christmas Eve service. Yeah, how about you? How, what, what, what comes to mind? How do you feel when Advent has arrived? Like, yeah, I, I love it, man. I mean, it's one of my favorite times of the year for sure. I mean, I'm definitely, you know, both Advent, but also like, I don't know, I like just to hear Christmas songs more uh -huh. and not just Christmas hymns, but your Mariah Carey and Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, all that kind of stuff. It's just like a fun little season. But yeah, I mean, I, and I, I don't know what it is. I, I've just always enjoyed the season and kind of reflecting on different things. I definitely think it's the time of year that people consider the church calendar for once, you know, it's like, <laughs> or at least most Protestants, at least like, you're like, oh, Advent and Christmas and Lent and Easter. Yeah. Like if they consider that, you know, if they consider anything, it's going to be considering that. So it's like thinking about time and how we reflect on our year is always kind of important for me. So, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. It's, I think, honestly, like thinking through this podcast and uh, reflecting on it has been has been helpful. So, so we're doing an Advent podcast. Uh, what are we talking about? Yeah. What are we talking <laughs> about for Advent? So, as far as I know, the the only Advent tradition I'm aware of, coming from a Baptist background, is you got candles every week. So you yeah. light a, you got a, you got a hope and a love and a joy and a peace and a patient patience and a Christ candle or something like that. So, so what are we going to be working through? Like, what what is the season of Advent yeah. entail? Yeah, so I, I thought it would be really cool. You know, we've done these podcast series in sets of um, four podcasts each. You know, we did the Anglicanism podcast and we did the uh, community podcast. Each of those were four episodes each. And as I was thinking about Advent, well, you have four Sundays of Advent. Mm -hmm. And in the Anglican tradition, we have the four collects of Advent or mm -hmm. the four prayers of Advent. And so, yeah, I just thought it could be kind of clever or interesting each week to kind of walk through each of those walk through some of their themes and discuss them a little bit more and mm -hmm. kind of provide somewhat through that some sort of devotional conversation each week. But mm. yeah, so I thought that would be kind of fun. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. So you said colics of Advent? Mm hmm So <laughs> could you, we've talked about this before in the past, but the dear listener and I may not remember, what what is a collect? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, 
we throw out a lot of fun Anglican words and don't always know what they mean. And that's what's helpful about this podcast. We can <laughs> clarify some of that. No, we have a collect of the day every Sunday that we pray. It's normally some sort of rich prayer. But throughout the year, during morning prayer and communion, we pray that prayer called the collect of the day. And the term just comes from, uh, it's a Latin term, collecta which simply means a gathering of people together. So, you know, in the Latin translation of the Bible, collecta, it would just refer to a gathering of people and also the, the collection of money of the saints that Paul was trying to put together in his letters. And mm. over, over time, the term just came to be used in the church's prayer life. And very simply, it just refers to the fact that in this prayer, the prayers of God's people are gathered or collected mm. See, uh, get it <laughs> into a single voice or a focus position, petition. So in the setting of morning prayer, for instance, normally the collect of the day follows the prayers of the people uh-huh. as a way to gather up or collect the larger prayers of the people into one singular prayer. So, yeah, it's, it's not just a rote prayer that comes out of nowhere and we just say it for the sake of tra- uh, tradition. It's something that's meant to... It's an expectation that people are already praying, uh-huh. and then we kind of gather up that prayer into kind of one focused prayer to mm. to conclude. Yeah, cool. So it's like a it's like a togethering, which mm-hmm. isn't a real word. Well, something that I, I've heard, and something that I thought about when I first joined Holy Trinity, was pre-written prayers are kind of weird, mm-hmm. especially from a non-Anglican background. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of weird to be like, oh, okay, so we're gonna pray this kind of rote prayer that like we all say together and my wife when we first joined called them the repeat after me's yeah, um, like yeah. the, okay now we read this thing on the page so i i definitely have come around to them but like Trip, give me a pitch like yeah. what, what 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 is the value of a collect why has it been appended to the anglican church for such a long time mm-hmm. what is its value yeah absolutely <laughs> well i'll say first of all too like a collect isn't uniquely Anglican, like the church has prayed these prayers long before the Anglican Reformation, you know, <laughs> and it's, and there's other traditions, you know, Lutheran, Methodist, others that have certain prayers throughout the year that they, that they pray. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely feel that. And I, I see sometimes like, it seems like somebody's just reading a prayer uh-huh. and not really praying a prayer. And you definitely know the difference, you know? So one thing is I'll just say though, is like, one of the things that a collect is doing is not just giving us lifeless prayers to read, but they want to inform and teach us how we pray mm-hmm. and how we might learn how to pray. You know, a typical collect always has five elements to it. So number one, there's always the address. So that's the, the invocation to the Father typically. You know, we're told in mm-hmm. John sixteen twenty three that by Jesus that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. So the address, it, it frames our prayer, that this is not a conversation with ourselves and our unique circumstances, but we are in communion with the Holy God, mm-hmm. and we first come face-to-face with that. Number two is acknowledgement. So we go from address to acknowledgement, where then we lay the groundwork for how we might approach the throne room of God in prayer. This acknowledgement gives the foundation of doctrine upon which our request is made. By this, I just mean at this point, we are reflecting on some quality of God and the gospel that provides the basis for which we can even approach him in prayer. You know, his power, his transcendence, his grace, his mercy through the mediation of the atoning 
work of Christ. So then we move into petition, and after those two things, finally we get to the point of making the ask. Uh, this is the actual prayer for some basic need or for forgiveness, for protection, for guidance, for wisdom, for comfort. That's the, the petitionary aspect of the prayer. That's what most people think of, I think, when they think of what a prayer is. Uh -huh. uh, then lastly, there's this aspiration. You know, this doesn't appear in every single collect that we'll ever pray, but this is the, the so that portion of the prayer. You know, we're not just praying just for the sake of saying something to God. You know, the purpose, this is the purpose statement of the prayer. We pray for forgiveness from our sins and for peace, not just so that we feel better about ourselves or something, but so that we might be better fitted for God's service and to love people. So, you know, forgiveness and peace are not ends in themselves, but a claim to a higher purpose. And then lastly, there's this, there's what's called the, the plea or the pleading aspect of the prayer. So lastly, we clarify how we are able to make this ask once again through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm -hmm. So let's look at this for an example. You know, one of the most well-known collects is the, is the collect of purity. I think we've talked about it in this podcast before, but it's the, just goes like almighty God, that's the address, right? Uh -huh. And then secondly, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. That's the acknowledgement part. Now we get into the petition. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Now we, so that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. That's the aspiration through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So that's the final plea. So I... Uh, Rather than, I like to think of prayers, collects, that is, rather than minimizing prayer, collects are meant to inform our prayers. They shape our prayers so that we may be people who are shaped by the gospel as we pray to our Father. So these prayers were meant to be prayed historically. They're, they're called collects of the day for a reason. They were actually meant to be prayed throughout the week rather than just one singular day. Huh. They were meant to be a devotional practice, kind of as you're, you're marching through the week, you're huh. taking your pilgrimage through the week as you come back together, con congregating with everyone on a Sunday. So it's a, it's a sh it has a shaping effect. It's not meant to be your only prayer throughout the day, sure. but it is meant to be, okay, Maybe when you pray before a meal or when you pray before you go to sleep, like how do I pray? There's a, an aspect of by which we can think about prayer and, and the colleagues tend to shape that through that kind of model of addressing our father, acknowledging who he is, petitioning for the ask, aspiring to something greater than just things that we want. And then lastly, um, finally making the plea again through Jesus Christ. So that's kind of <laughs> how I like to think about it. It's a, it's, it has a didactic effect, if you will. It has a, a formative teaching effect in how we choose to, to pray through these colleagues. So, yeah. That is really cool, actually. Like, honestly, like, that is very, very cool. I love the breakdown you did of the colleague for purity. Because, like, I, I've prayed that a whole bunch since being here at Holy Trinity. Like, it is really cool to see kind of the elements of it. And, and you're right. Like, this is... It's not only, I think this is a good prayer, but it's also a very good teaching prayer. The mm -hmm. idea of, of address, acknowledge, petition, aspiration, and plea. Like, yeah, like that's all the elements of a good prayer. It, mm -hmm. it reminds me of uh, when Jesus teaches the prayer to the disciples. He's like, pr pray this way. Like, like yeah. um, it's not only like, this is a good prayer, but also like, this is how you should pray. Like, mm -hmm. like understand the elements of prayer. So that's really cool, actually. I, I really, really like that. Uh, like, genuinely, I think that's very, very cool and informative. Okay, great. So that's collect. But this is a an Advent series. So I'm going to make you define Advent, too, while we're on a, a, a kick of defining things. Yeah. Um, so what the, where do we get Advent? What does the word mean? 
because we're going to be talking about it for four weeks. Yep, <laughs> yep. So I, I'll start with a simple definition, but I'm sure you might have some more thoughts to it. Yeah, Advent simply just means the arrival or the, the coming of something. It is, again, from the Latin, and I'm not a Latin expert, but I'm just telling you things that I've <laughs> researched here. Uh, it just comes from the word adventus. So in example, like 1 Thessalonians 4.15, when it talks about the coming of the Lord, that is from the Latin phrase, the adventum domini, so the huh. coming of the Lord. So uh -huh. when we talk about Advent, we are talking about the coming, the arrival of, or the ultimate presence of something in light of their coming. So for Christians, one of the most dramatic things that stands out about what we believe is that the God of heaven and earth has come, has arrived in human flesh, has advented, if you will, mm. uh, that he is God with us and that he will advent, he will arrive and come again. So um, that's simply what it means. You know, okay. It just means an arrival or, or coming of something. Okay. So the, the <coughs> Jesus has showed up. God is here. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, so then, so this is a question I've always had. So then why do we celebrate Advent? Yeah. Like, where, where did this season come from? Because, like, Christmas is pretty obvious. I mean, that's the birth of Christ. Like, that's a pretty easy date. But we don't have necessarily a, a pre-season of celebration for, like, Thanksgiving. Like, there's right. no, <laughs> yeah. like, four weeks of Thanksgiving. It's like, no, we've got Thanksgiving, and then we're done. Yeah. <laughs> so fun fact to begin with, just for a second, you know, for the church calendar— something that people start to care about this time of year. Uh, <laughs> New Year's Day is actually technically not January 1st, but it's the first Sunday of the Advent, or it's the first Sunday of Advent. You know, it's the cycle begins first Sunday of Advent. Uh -huh. uh, that's our New Year's Day. The first day of the Christian year leads us up then to the Feast of the Nativity, which is December 25th which is a part of what's called Christmas Tide, uh, huh. And that's the, the 12 days of Christmas. Everybody knows the song, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, but that takes us all the way up into Epiphany on January 6th. So uh, you didn't ask me this, but I always like to keep up the Christmas decorations actually until Epiphany because that's the Christmas season as a whole. You know? ah. um, and so, yeah, just to me, that's always brought a little bit more color or life to the Christmas season. You know, it's not just a day or just one or two days. It's a it's a season to reflect on these things. Same with Easter, where like Easter is not just a uh, holiday unto itself. It, it's taken into effect with um, Lent, you know, and then Easter leads up into Pentecost later. So I just, you know, the Christmas season is, it starts our year with Advent and then leads up into the epiphany in the, the revelation of Christ to the nation. So any any thoughts of that or well the first one was uh, it's very disciplined of you to know when you're taking your christmas lights yeah. the street down yeah. we typically don't get to it until about february yeah. um, yeah. it just takes some time but on top of that like that is really cool i mean the fact that i mean christian new year basically begins with the advent so like i think we as people especially in america like new year's is the other celebration of December, basically. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah, you've got Christmas Day, and then a week later you've got New Year's Eve, which is mm -hmm. the other big party. Yep. And so to kind of reframe it as like, well, no, the whole thing, like all the way up to January 6th, is is this Advent season. Yeah, I think that's really, really cool. And it's just, I mean, the idea of, I think about like a New Year's resolution mm -hmm. is not like terribly foreign to historic Christianity. And yeah. uh, the beginning of a new year, you start with reminding yourself of the incarnation. And as we'll talk in this discussion and then further throughout the podcast, like thinking about Advent is meant to 
reshape our expectations for our year. Mm -hmm. And with that, there's resolutions or there's commitment, there's convictions based off of certain things. Uh So that leads me to want to talk about this thing that we're going to be walking through throughout this series on the fourfold advent or coming of Jesus. I'm actually credit to colleague, friend of mine, Sam Forniker down in Charleston. He, he let me know about this, but this is adapted from a guy named John Prido. Great name. We don't name him like that anymore. <laughs> uh, and Fleming Rutledge, helpful author and theologian. But they talk about these different aspects of the Advent season. So Prido was a uh, pastor, theologian from the 1600s, um, and he talks about this fourfold advent that the church has historically acknowledged, which, number one, there's the advent in the flesh. Number two, the advent into our hearts, of Christ coming into our hearts. The advent or coming of Christ at the hour of our death. And then lastly, the advent or coming at the final day of judgment for for everyone. Mm. So this is actually the four colics that we'll be walking through in a sense, walk through each of these things, which I think will be really cool as we walk through each week. You know, Prito, I'll just read for you here. This is in one of his writings, A Christian's Free Will Offering. This is how he puts it. You know, it's better for us to consider the meaning of Advent that theologians have traditionally considered of this fourfold coming. He says, first in the flesh, you know, so this is John 1.14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Secondly, into the hearts of the faithful, as he says. This is uh, out of Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any hear my voice, I open the door and I will come to eat with him. Mm. So thirdly, then there's the hour at the hour of every man's death. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Uh, But you got things like Mark 13.35. Watch therefore, for you know not when the master of the house comes. Or you've got, what is it, Hebrews, um, you know, and just as it is pointed for one man to die, for a a man to die once, after that comes the judgment. So there is a time where we die and we will come face to face with our Lord. Then lastly, there is the universal day of judgment for, for all. You see this in something like Luke 21, 27, for then you shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He just says that in reference to these four comings of Christ, the church has had what he says, a laudable custom, a praiseworthy custom, and has anciently celebrated these four Sundays immediately going before the Feast of the Nativity by the name Advent Sundays that prepared beforehand with due meditation of so inestimable a benefit, we might solemnize the nativity with greater triumph. So I think it's really cool. And what Advent does, like I said, it's, it's, it's a um, somewhat of a, a new year resolution. We're reflecting on a year. But what these four Sundays do is this fourfold Advent gives us a narrative of the gospel which frames an entire human life and that launches our year as a church. So it, it walks through all aspects of our life as a Christian, the incarnate Christ before we came to know him, that he's there with us waiting for us to turn to him. Then that day when Christ actually came into our hearts through his word, that second Advent uh, collect is beautiful because it's all about 
it's, we've said it before, but that aspect of read, mark, learn, inwardly digest this word that has come into our hearts. Then thirdly, the hour of death. That, while it's hard to talk about, uh, but there's this reality that this life is not our own, that one day we will go to be with the Lord, and there's that. And then lastly, there's this the reality of the coming day where Christ will return to his throne and redeem all things. So, yeah, that's kind of what we're going for, and that just kind of shapes where uh, I want to take the discussion throughout these, this series. But any, any thoughts or questions from that? No, that seems awesome. I mean, that is a cool – I mean, th- these are, like, as you said, and I think this is a, a very fitting – advent thing to talk about obviously uh but like these are yeah these are the advents of christ like this this is this is the moments when you are confronted with christ and i don't mean confrontation is in like a confrontational like negative way but like no these are the moments when like you are face to face with christ like his coming salvation death and then mm-hmm. the end <laughs> um, like that's really mm-hmm. cool I, and it, it covers such a wide swath i mean yeah, I'm excited. This is going to be a cool series. I'm ex- yeah, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about these and the other clergy as well. Just like these are really diverse topics um, to really mull over in the Advent season. I think that'll be, I don't know, really enriching for me at least. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, you want to look at the first collect of sure. the season? Let's do um, it. So if, if you guys have prayer books, you know, they're easy to find, but if you have a bulletin on Sunday, you'll have it as well. But we're trying to release these podcasts in a few days before the Sunday so that we're leading up into us praying this together. And what I would recommend you all to consider is, you know, hearing this and obviously devotionally consider it before you pray it on Sunday, but also then reading this collect throughout the week, praying it over and, and mulling over it again. And yeah, hearing some of our observations, but perhaps making some of your own as well. So about to pray this collect, but one thing I want to just mention is this is this was the first prayer of the Advent season. But actually, so while all four of them are, are new prayers throughout each week, the Anglican Church, for most of its history, actually they would pray the second collect of Advent, then the third collect, then the fourth collect, but then they would always go back and pray this collect again. Yeah. So in the sense that like this collect was, yes, it was the first Sunday of Advent, but it was kind of meant to shape the entire Advent season. Mm-hmm. So I'll just pray it here and then we'll make some observations. Does that sound all right with you? That sounds great. Um, prayer just says, Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Amen. I hope people were able to maybe catch some of that uh, what the uh, acknowledge, aspire, petition there um, is happening there again. Yeah, Jake, maybe we could do a little observation time. What do you, what, do you, what stands out to you about this prayer? What are some some observations here? So the first thing that stands out, and I think it's it's just in the first line here, but like the the fact that this prayer opens with "Give us the grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on us the armor of light." Like mm-hmm. what an that we were talking about this earlier, but that almost strikes me as like. That's like a New Year's resolution kind of like, I don't know. Like, it feels like that is a renewing prayer. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a, okay, I want to go forth in grace now. Like, that is a freedom of grace kind of moment. And, like, what a way to start Advent. Like, yeah, it, it, 
that is a very interesting way to start an Advent prayer and not what I would have thought of at all as mm-hmm. the beginning of Advent. Like, oh yeah, let's start with like acknowledging darkness and seeking to put on the armor of light. Right, yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's, it's like repentance language, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think we often think of Advent or Christmas as a penitent season. You know, we think of it as like a glorious season. Sure, it's the incarnation. Yeah. It's Christ coming to be Emmanuel with us. It's mm-hmm. uh, Handel's Messiah and the Hallelujah Chorus. <laughs> it's, it's that, you know. We don't think, we think of Lent. We think of sure, uh, as a, oh, the crucifixion, Good Friday. Like that's when we think of those type of things. But we don't think of casting away the works of darkness and putting on us the armor of light really in, in this season. And now in the time of this mortal life, you know, that kind of wow. reminds us of that third Sunday that we'll get to, that mm-hmm. this life that is uh, temporary and we are vulnerable and fragile. Um, so, yeah, I just, uh, and I just think it's important to think about maybe that. Uh, just a quick thought on the armor of light, you know, that language of armor, that's like battle language, right? Yeah. You know, it's kingdom language and the kingdom is close, it's coming. That that language actually comes from Romans 13, Uh the end of that chapter, Paul just says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So I kind of see that quote there as a little bit of like a hyperlink, you know, to back to Romans 13 Uh where Paul impacts this a little bit more. So yeah, it's kind of like a, this prayer like shocks you into attention you know uh you're kind of like hey i'm just rolling through my year you know just finished thanksgiving then whoa you know yeah. first sunday of advent <laughs> so yeah, yeah. what um or sorry go ahead well and, and to, to kind of build on that like that that immediate penitence like mm-hmm. like okay great like there is a a moment of repentance needed here why looking at the the latter part of the colic like Speaking of Jesus, when he shall come again in glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead. Like, mm-hmm. that is not the image of Jesus I think of on Christmas. Yeah. Like, like that, is the, that is the coming reigning king. Like, that's the revelations Jesus, not like sweet baby Jesus. And yeah. angel. Like, like yeah. that, is, that is not the, the, the concept that I think is enshrined in, in, like, Christian iconography around Christmas. Like, you've always got, like the sweet baby Jesus in the manger, not like the king reigning on the throne to whom you are accountable. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, like yeah. that phrase to judge both the living and the dead, like is so, that is a very serious, like that takes very seriously the idea of us as people who are ultimately under judgment. Yep. Like that is crazy. Again, not things I associate with Christmas. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, one thing maybe we do associate with Christmas is this phrase here in which your son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility. Mm. Yeah, I love that. In the midst of kind of this wartime battle language, there's this kind of just gentle pastoral language, you know, in which Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility. You know, seems like there's this an ad- adjective there, but we'll, we'll talk about it here in a second. But the idea of the incarnation is not just oh yeah, Jesus came for a few days and a few years, uh, but it's like, man, it's a deep level of humility, you know, that though he is judge, though he is Lord, like God became a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the depths of that humility for him to do that is profound. So another thing that stands out to me while we're talking about that, just the, the I don't know, the 
in adding to that great humility, which first of all, like, I cannot imagine it was terribly enjoyable for Christ to come down and take human form. Yeah. I mean, like, that sounds... I, I think C.S. Lewis at one point put it, like, it... It was as if one of us decided to become a slug. Like yeah. that isn't fun. Yeah. Uh, like 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 this is a uh, a feeble and infinitely smaller form than his proper form. So like there's yeah. a that is the great humility of like stepping down and becoming like us. Uh, but in addition to that, like what is the end goal of this? Like that we may rise to the life immortal. Like mm-hmm. that's freaking crazy. Like yeah. that we little fragile, like, temporary things may be raised to the life immortal. May be raised to the life immortal. That is an incredible, incredible gift um, that comes through this coming of Christ. Like, through this little baby who will one day come back as this reigning king. Like, yeah. what the heck? Yeah. To make permanent these these impermanent clouds of dust that we yeah. are. Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's such a powerful prayer and keep going through it a little bit but so really we've talked about you know this is the week of the coming in the flesh the advent of the flesh so we're here now talking about the incarnation so i don't know jake you given much thought to that word before any thoughts incarnation yeah. so okay the the first thing that comes to mind is carne asada yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> In carne asada? Well, actually, I, uh, <laughs> I made a reference to that at, in my sermon on Sunday. Did and then you? we talked about it. Yeah, but, you know, I, I'm a big food truck guy. Uh-huh. You know, uh, when I go to a Tex-Mex restaurant or food truck, I always get three tacos, you know, corn tortillas, but I get chicken, chorizo, and carne asada, funny enough. And <laughs> if you know your Spanish, carne asada just means roasted meat. Uh, but yeah, it comes again, using this a lot today, but it comes from a Latin no uh, phrase, <laughs> but carnea, which yes, does refer to meat, uh, but it more literally it, refer, it refers to like the, the flesh of a creature, right? It's where we get our word uh, carnal from, if you're familiar with, with that word. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, carnal or carnea, yeah, it means more than simply, you know, your skin and muscles, but it refers to a range of human activities. It means the, the fullness of the human experience, right? So when we say that Jesus took on flesh, we are saying that he took on, yes, flesh, but also a human mind and a human soul, and yes, the fullness of the human experience. So when we say the word incarnation, we are saying this refers to God assuming or taking on flesh or taking upon himself the fullness of the human experience or coming in the carnea, in the flesh, if you will. So that's where we get that word, incarnation. So full definition here, a little theological, but the incarnation is just the eternal God, the Son, actively taking upon himself the our human nature without any sense ceasing to be God. So those three things are important. God, the Son, eternal, taking upon himself human nature without any sense ceasing to be God. Anytime you, you know, sway that one way or another, that's where you get kind of misrepresentations of Jesus and some heresies and other things like that. So, yeah. Good. Heresies. Yep. <laughs> okay. So, you said the word heresy there. And that's really interesting because that's not a word that most people hear all the time. But, like, heresy is when something's, like, really bad. Like, yeah. really don't want heresy. So so why is it really important then that we have this incarnation? Like why is the incarnation so important? Why is it so serious that it's a heresy yep. to misunderstand the incarnation? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's 
Yeah, it's really important, and it's not arbitrary. Like some might think, you know, for instance, in undergrad, I was at UNC, and so I studied with uh, with Bart Ehrman, which learned a lot. And I mean, don't say that any negative way. I, I really enjoyed his classes. But one of the things that's argued often in common religious studies uh, parlance, if you will, is that what became heresy and what became orthodox is just a product of who won and who lost the arguments, mm. you know? <laughs> so it's all just arbitrary and subjective to how history panned out, you know? So what we consider heresy is just heresy because those guys lost, you know? <laughs> uh, they lost the arguments or whatever. Uh-huh. And I'm willing to hear that argument, but I think it's a little bit more than that because at the end of the day, the importance of the incarnation is not just so we win an argument or not just so we do these mental gymnastics of all these things, but it's to understand how we can be saved you know, if there's this concept throughout Christian history of that which has not been assumed cannot be healed. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the idea there being if the eternal God does not take him upon himself the fullness of our humanity, then I have no hope of my humanity being healed. You know, if God was just, or if Jesus was just half man, half divine, then only half of my humanity could be united with half of Christ's divinity, you know? Uh And if Christ in any sense ceases to be God, then he is now a creature. And a creature can't save another creature, Uh you know? So it's not that we're trying to do these mental gymnastics. It's so that we are very clear on how we are saved and that our gospel message is consistent, you know? So it's not just that these guys were the winners and losers of the argument. It's so how do we represent a saving God? We say it in the creed, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven uh, so that we might be saved. So I just think that's very important, (laughs) you know, and the incarnation is not just some arbitrary measure by which we measure orthodoxy or whatever. It's just to be clear about the gospel, you know, so... So is that helpful? Yeah, that helps a lot. Because when you throw, start throwing words around like heresy, all of a sudden it's like, okay, this must be important. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably something we should talk about for a second before we move on. Yeah. So thank you. I appreciate that. One last thing. I wanted to make one last little uh, interpretive comment about the collects. I'm getting this from a resource called just the collects of Thomas Cranmer. Um, really helpful resource. You know, it just kind of adds some commentary to these prayers. Uh, our prayers that we prayed today have been modernized just a little bit. And they're a little bit different from uh, the archbishop that I refer to every now and then. Every, I'll promise you, listener, we're going to do a separate podcast on Thomas Cranmer himself <laughs> to let you know about who this guy is exactly. But uh, trust me, he's, he's helpful. <laughs> uh, but what this commentary talks about is how the colic binds together not only the two advents of Christ, but also our human present with this future reality that is rushing towards us. This is how it just says um, in that commentary, the point of this prayer devised by Cranmer for the Christian year is that our present life, love this, is the incubator for our future and enduring life. And every moment of this life is accompanied by him who visited this planet in great humility. So I just think this is part of what Advent forces us to consider, especially this first week as we are contemplating the coming of God in the flesh, that the past and the future of human history and the past and the future of our own lives has inexhaustible worth because Christ has come. Um, Christ has come into human history. Uh, Advent, then it, it locates us 
uh, before we move anywhere else in the Christmas season or in our year as we move forward to remind us that this season, this year, our entire lives are not about us. This season is not about us. And as much as the commercials, the materialism, the excess of this season wants to tell us, uh, that's very much so a, a secular message. Uh, we are not the heroes of this story, but we get a privilege to play a part in its fulfillment. Yeah, I just think that's you know, something I think that's really helpful to consider as we talk about the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. It, it unites a past reality and a future reality, and it locates us in between these two ages mm. so that we see the value that our current life has. Um, I think that's just really cool. Yeah. Any, any thoughts to that? Well, I mean, just to talk about the, the colic we talked about earlier, like this, 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 between the, wait, I'm going to bring it back up here because I think it's important to look at specifically, but between the, the coming in great humility and the final coming in judgment, like, mm -hmm. like we are, like we're, you are putting us between the two of them in Advent. Mm -hmm. like, okay, so, so we're, we're here. Uh, mm -hmm. What does that mean for us? Uh, what does that mean looking back on the works of Christ and looking forward to the coming of Christ again? Which is not something that I think of as an Advent season thing to do, frankly. It's, it's typically a looking back. And then Easter is the looking back and then forward. Right. So this is a, a new thing for me yeah. in Advent. Yeah, cool. Well, a few encouragements or applications I, I want to close out on is, number one is just, I would like I said earlier, maybe, you know, read through the prayer daily, pray through the prayer daily more properly. Uh -huh. This is, like I said, like really treat it like a collect of the day rather than a collect of the week. Let it guide your devotional time or let it be something you conclude your devotional time with. Secondly, I would say if you're, if you're meeting with your community groups, read through the prayer with your community group. Let it guide that time with your group as well. Thirdly, you know, I would say, kind of what we were talking about earlier with this being a penitential season or a battle language, you know, consider Advent similar to how you might consider something like Lent, you know, mm. what might be Christ asking you to set aside or repent of or take up as a discipline or practice in order to prepare your hearts and homes for his arrival. We are in this sense creating space for repentance. I like to consider that lyric from Joy to the World, right? That, uh, that little quote there, let every heart prepare him room. Mm. Uh, that's kind of what we're doing during the Advent season, right? Is learning how to prepare space for Christ to come. So again, this could mean reframing, refraining from, you know, like in Lent, a certain food or a form of entertainment or perhaps taking up something like reading a devotional book. These are the type of things though that we take on during the Advent season. And then lastly, I just want to commend you all to consider, you know, what does it look like to think and live incarnationally? That's what we're thinking about this week, right? And through this collect. We preached on this this past weekend, but we preached out of Philippians 2, actually, which is a one of the chief incarnation passages. But this is what Paul says, you know, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. You know, Paul here wants this community who may be in the midst of a lot of things going on, you know, midst of disputes, arguments with people from opposing views, living in a world that doesn't often accept them. He wants them to learn to think as Christ thought. You know, in other words, learn to think and live incarnationally. Well, 
what does that look like, you know, because nobody's about to be God and take on human flesh, so I don't really know what that means. What does it mean to incarnate yourselves? Well, think about the model or paradigm of Christ that we've seen throughout that passage and that we've talked about through the prayer and the incarnation, that A, although he was in the form of God, B, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but C, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Rather than this, he took upon service and he entered into people's lives. So this is the paradigm I think Paul wants his churches to adopt. And this is what incarnational living looks like, a life that says, although A, I may have some advantage or position of authority or whatever, I do not B, exploit or grasp or take advantage of that position for my own personal gain, but rather C, I choose the way of service and presence and life-giving opportunities for others. So a few examples here, and Jacob, be curious if, if you have any that come to the top of your head as I talk through these, but, you know, maybe somebody says to you something that's rude or insensitive, you know, this is just a few days after the disastrous events at Carter-Finley Stadium for me and my Tar Heels, uh, but I may expect some state fan to do this to me at some point this week. Uh, we may could say that although, A, you've been wronged and you feel like you have the right to defend your pride, you do not, B, make use of that right and return evil for evil with an unkind word, but rather, C, you respond with words that build up, serve, and encourage. Mm. Another, more broadly speaking for Christians in general, although you are, A, a Christian, and yes, we are justified and assured of our salvation, this does not mean that, B, we remove ourselves from a lost world and society around us, but rather, C, we enter into the world and seek to love it, serve it, encourage it for the sake of seeing other people coming to know Jesus. There's all, there's all sorts of examples here. I think of maybe an older sibling uh, in a family setting or at home, you know, maybe you are the cool older brother or sister or upperclassman at school or something like that. This does not mean that B, you take advantage of that status and belittle those who are younger than you, a sibling or an underclassman at school, but rather C, you choose to serve your younger siblings or perhaps disciple someone at school, start a Bible study with them or something. And then, you know, parents, of course, I don't want to let them off the hook. Think about, you know, although yes, A, you are an adult and you have so much more life experience and you've worked so hard for that job and the degrees you've earned or whatever, this does not mean that B, you take advantage of that status against your children, never apologizing for sin because you're mom and dad, but rather C, you model repentance for your children. I think there's, there's so many more I could walk through, but basically what we are talking about here is how can you recognize the positions of influence and authority that you might have, not exploit those for personal gain, but use those positions to enter into the lives of others, incarnate yourself and show them the love and service that comes from a mind shaped by Christ. I've always been pretty amazed at how applicable this is to kind of all sorts of things, you know, the argument over who should do dishes at home or something like that, because dadgummit, I don't want to do that, <laughs> but I've learned to say like, hey, yes, although, yeah, you've had a really hard day, although you've worked really hard today, this does not mean that B, you use that as some sort of position over your wife, but rather you choose the way of service and you enter in. There's all sorts of things. You could think about it in terms of leadership, perhaps in debates in a polarizing world, all sorts of things, but as I was talking, do you think this is applicable? Oh or, my gosh, yeah. yes. I mean, this is permanently applicable all the time. I mean, we talk about... So here, I'll just tell you this. So we are called to enter into Christ's great humility. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that as a, as a young Christian, when I first came to Christ, I struggled the most with because I didn't understand. So, so 
when I was taught, like, oh, God embodies all the fruits of the spirits. I'm like, no, he doesn't because mm-hmm. God is not humble. He has no reason to be humble. Mm-hmm. He's God. Like, mm-hmm. like, like he is ultimately, like he has no need to be humble. He's the creator of the universe. He is the perfect one. Like, why would he be humble? But then learning as I walked through life with Christ, like, yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Look at Christ. Like, like, look at who Jesus is. Like, even though he was and is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, and has every right to look upon a rebellious group of humans and say, no, like, you are, you are chaff. Like, what are you to me? He says, no, I will love you. And in loving you, make you lovable. Yeah. Like, and, in, and to do that, I'm going to come down and get you. Oh my gosh, like like yeah. that is the great humility that we are called to enter into. Like yeah. this this loving the unlovable because we want to be like mm-hmm. Christ, because we want to reflect this savior who has come to get us. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the story of the debtors where the debtor who is forgiven much loves much. Uh, mm-hmm. And we have been forgiven a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have yeah. been saved from a lot, so we are called to love much. So yeah, I, I just, this is a great reminder and encouragement to love much, mm-hmm. not just in this season, but to, to start my Christian year loving much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. I just love, I mean, mentioned it in the sermon, but just thinking about it now, but in the incarnation, it's not God surrendering his divinity, but rather clarifying it mm. and clarifying it through the means of humility. Like there's something about like looking at that baby and you say, that's God. (laughs) Or that's something about ultimately seeing a man on a cross dying for our sins, as John talks about, when you see the man lifted up as the serpent was in the wilderness, you know, this is, you're looking at God himself. So it's not God surrendering his divinity, but but clarifying it through the means of humility and ultimately humility unto death. And so I just think that's a, a beautiful thing, just that our Lord would do that. Okay. So we've done our first collect, so that this is the, the kind of Advent or coming season with the Lord coming in the flesh. Can you give us kind of a, a, an idea of what we're going to do over the next three weeks with the other clergy and, and what you guys are going to talk about in the other collects, maybe? Just yeah. Kind of a sneak peek. Yeah, going to be looking at a more fully orbed understanding of the Advent season and seeing, as we said earlier, this that through Christ's fourfold Advent, this gives us a narrative of the gospel which frames an entire human life and it launches our year as a church. So we first looked at the advent in the flesh. Next week, we're gonna talk about the advent of Christ into our hearts through his word. This is what, you know, uh, Fleming Rutledge talks about the, the advent which sanctifies, the advent which saves as well. And so Caleb Burr will be joining us. We're gonna be talking a little bit about that collect is an interesting one. Like, why exactly is it a Advent collect? It seems like it comes out of nowhere. But mm-hmm. talking about how the Lord's coming into our hearts through His Word and how the Word shapes our life, be really fun. And then we're going to be talking about some family-specific ways that you and your family can grow together during this Advent season. Caleb, of course, family ministries um, pastor, will be able to speak on that really well. Then, thirdly, going to be talking about the Advent at the hour of our death. <laughs> uh, mm. Quick word on that. You know, that sounds super intimidating, but I think what we are talking about here is not so much a fearful day, but a day we move 
forward to with the utmost comfort and confidence. A lot of people don't like to talk about it, but the Christmas season, while it's joyful, it can be a really hard and dark season for many. And I love how the church calendar, the church tradition, whatever, acknowledges this and acknowledges that in the midst of a a colder, darkening season, that light still shines through. Claudia, Greg's will actually be joining me for this. Uh, We're going to, of course, talk about the collect of that day, but we're also going to talk about this often overlooked aspect of Advent and going to be incorporating some of our content from our Living and Dying Well conference that we had in in October. And Claudia is amazing speaking at some of that content a lot better than than I could. Uh, So I'll be... uh, leading that discussion as well. Then lastly, it'll be me and Jake again. And we'll be talking about the fun topic of the Advent at the Day of Judgment for, for all. So uh, there, you know, we're going to be talking about more fully, like while today we've talked about his original coming, we're now going to be talking about the last day, the, the final day, the, what theologians call eschatology, the speaking of the end times and all that fun stuff. But in a way that frames and fully ends the... Advent season, then leading us right up into Christmas itself. So that's where we're heading and hope it kind of each week kind of gives you all something to consider, a new aspect of Advent each week to kind of shape your devotional life as we march towards Christmas Day itself. Great. Very excited. And I'm also like, I I, I love that we're doing the the collect before the week we pray it. I think it's going to be super cool to read it on Sunday morning with a kind of a, an enriched understanding of it so that the first time I'm reading it is not while we're praying it yep. in service. Yep. I'm really excited for that. So, yeah, I, this is going to be great. I'm really excited. And again, I'll be gone for the next couple of episodes. I will definitely be listening to them because I'm really excited about them. But I will rejoin you guys for the last one just before Christmas. Awesome. Cool. Well, Jake, do you mind if I ask if you close us in prayer by reading the collect once again? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I have the modern version on my phone. So okay. I, uh, I notice you modernize some of the language as you're reading. And yeah. I don't know how confident I am in doing yeah. that. So here we go. <clears throat> Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to life immortal. Through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.